This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez at Cincinnati Comic Expo, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. Hi, this is Marcus Toe, artist for Red Robin. You've been listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake podcast. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic book podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 129. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and, of course, Robin. We are part of the Batman Universe podcasting network, so go check out TBU's brand new site at BatmanUniverse.net. Speaking of podcast networks, we're also associated with Batman on Films Podcast Network at BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. You can get a hold of us on all the social media outlets. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves the Drake. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. We have an Instagram page. You can email into the show at Robin ELTD Podcast. We have a YouTube page, which Terrence is helming that page with me from time to time. So you can check out all of the new Robin information and at the time of of this recording, well, not the time of this recording, the time that you're hearing this, Terrence, I think, has just finished up a Robin Eternal from a future state, which I'm a little far behind on, so I'm eagerly waiting to listen to that, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about it a little bit on this show, but go check out uh, Terrence running the YouTube version of this podcast. So, I just mentioned Terrence's name. This is a continuation from episode 128 with our guest, Michael Bailey. And I'm not going to do a huge long intro here. The show is already clocking in at about an hour and eight minutes. We're going to take a quick little promo break for our guest, Michael Bailey. When we come back, we'll hear the synopsis for Robin 32, and we'll continue our discussion for Batman Legacy Part 3. Hello, this is the Irredeemable Shag from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and you're listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. The Long Halloween. Hush. Dark Knight Returns. The Killing Joke. 
These are all Batman stories that have been talked about and talked about countless times over the years. They are considered classics, and in most cases, that title is fitting. The thing is, Batman is nearly eight decades old, and whilst those stories are worth talking about, there are plenty of other Bat comics that are being a tad overlooked. And that's where we come in. Hi, everybody. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Andrew Leyland. Andy and I decided that it was a crime that there were so many great Batman stories out there that weren't getting their due. To that end, we started a show, The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show. Our goal is to talk about the previously mentioned Overlooked stories and tell you why they're worth your time. The show comes out twice a month, with the first episode focusing on the back books from the late 70s and early 80s. We're starting with the Len Wein run and working our way forward through the books written by Jerry Conway and eventually Duke Mensch. On the second episode of the month, we'll dig into the various adventure comics that were based on the Fox Kids slash Kids WB Batman animated shows because they're really good and hardly anyone seems to remember that they exist. The show can be found at the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network, which is located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Shining a bat signal on the bat stories that no one seems to remember or care about. Because somebody has to. All right, the information for Robin 32, again, comes to us by Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. The cover date is August 1996, with an on-sale date of July 3rd, 1996, with a cover price of $1.95. The editor is the great Dennis J. O'Neill. The title, Born With Teeth. The writer is Chuck Dixon, the penciler is Stuart Johnson, or Staz Johnson, as we fondly know him as. The anchor is Ray A. McCarthy. The letter is... Timothy Harkins, and the colorist is the lovely Adrian Roy. This has been reprinted Batman trade paperback that came out in 1997, and the newest trade paperback that came out in 2018. The cover goes to the late, great Micro Wingo, and the inker is Terry Austin. And for the experience of time, as always with the Batman Legacy part of the show, I'm going to use DC Fandom Wikia page for the synopsis to help speed us along a little bit. And this is a rather short one, but uh, we'll make up for it in our discussion portion. In Paris, Robin and Nightwing track down the agents of Rachel Ghoul, who plan to release the deadly Ebola A Gulf virus there. Batman advises Robin to seek out the assistance of Henry Ducard, and in time, the location for the release is tracked down to the Balour. After a violent confrontation with Al Ghul's followers, the virus is found and prevented from being released. Robin and Nightwing then head back to Gotham City on Batman's orders. All right, let's go to Robin 32, and I can tell you right off the bat, this is poster-worthy. This would be on my wall right away. Staz Johnson, we are now a few issues into his era, and we have something special for Staz Johnson coming up that is now mm-hmm. a year or almost technically two years old now, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. So uh, what did you guys think of the cover for Robin 32? Let's start with our guest, Michael Bailey. Oh, it's Mike Rodrigo drawing Robin. I mean, yes, <laughs> like, like that, that's the sentence there. If you know, you know that it's nothing but perfection. And it is really, I think what's really cool is kind of the perspective of this is that you, you could just focus on, 
Robin's image, but the fact that he's kind of repelling from the Eiffel Tower uh, with uh, with the dark clouds above him, I, uh, it's just beautiful. God, Ringo drew this costume. Not as good yeah. as Tom Grummet, but close. Yeah, if you can't have Tom Grummet, Ringo, definitely. Ryan. Yeah, it, it is It is great. It, it's got a great use of perspective and form and fluidity, yes. Like, nice. just well the way he's swinging from the tower. With the, <laughs> you see the costume? Yeah, and the costume is colored great. Like, you, the belt and the R, it's got that chrome look to it, too. So, yeah, I mean, it's... And there's even, you know, some bats in the background. It's definitely something you could grab and be on a poster or a calendar or something and still hold up, you know, uh, uh, outside of a, you know, issue, standalone issue of Robin. It's it's really nice. Terrence. Yeah, A-plus, poster-worthy all the way. It's one of those covers that the more you look at it, the more you notice, like, little details. And mm-hmm. the perspective of the Eiffel Tower is amazing. Um a plus, and you know what? What struck me too is um, you see, like, oh, it's Ringo, so you know he's amazing. But then you don't see his name on the cover. You see it's Johnson. But when I turned the page and I saw that first splash page, and Robin is kind of like upside down, being shot at, I was like, well, this is just as good. Like this, this holds up. This looks really good. Then we got to Nightwing's hair, and I freaked out and <laughs> dropped the book. Oh, it's and amazing! It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But cover A plus. Yeah. So, yeah, this is really cool. And Dixon does a really good job at this. Sometimes, like in in TV shows, you start out, like, of course, right in the middle of action. Then you've got to have the Zach Morris of, like, oh, let me tell you how I got into the situation. (laughs) I think that it doesn't work all the time for a lot of characters, but for Robin, your Spider-Mans, those type of younger characters to go, how did Robin get in this predicament? And you kind of follow him leaping through this museum or wherever he's at and you get his inner monologue yeah. uh, that is going on and then you start going back to oh here's here's the events that were happening i think dixon he's that's a trope that's course. a trope that yes. that he's done plenty of times in this robin series too so it's what was what's cool about this issue is that it is like um by the time you're reading it this and if you're just reading it in one chunk in one sitting it is a cool like oh this is something that kind of comics do really well where you're reading an ongo- like a crossover story but it's but in, instead of it being told completely like in one shot like the the perspective switches just because now you're reading we're reading Catwoman now you're reading Robin or whatever and now it's like oh now now we're picking up on the story but it's instead of being told like on this omniscient narrator point of view now we're at Robin's point of view so i mean that's cool and that and those introductory pages the way that Dixon usually does them is always a really good like mind reset frame of reference of like where are we where are we with this how is this you know setting back up and like uh like Michael was saying earlier it's got the action and that action is always a uh, it's fun but it always has the the inner monologue on it too so you're doing usually always pulling double duty where you've got the action and the splash pages and the that stuff but all of the dialogue catches you up to speed and it's told in uh then it enhances the character you get really into like oh who is this character what's his personality really quickly so so we know tim drake likes third base but apparently he also (laughs) likes green day 
which I thought that was kind of funny. And the typical, like, hey, I'm wearing a Green Day shirt. I've got a red jacket on. It looks like he has an eight ball jacket that serves as the R of, like, can we get on more eight of the ball. nose that, that, hey, this is Robin in case you're, you're not reading you gotta, it. You got to put in the Seinfeld <laughs> eight ball. Uh, yeah. You got a question. You ask the eight ball. All sides point to yes. Yeah, and Green Day holds up a lot better than third base these days. And there's yeah. another part, too, I noticed he mentioned that he'd, like, trade his CD collection. Very rarely does something yeah. sound, sound dated in it. But what I thought was kind of funny is that if instead of CD collection, if the if it had been a little earlier and said his vinyl record collection, mm. it would have they come would have back around like, mm-hmm. because people now collect those again. Yeah, <laughs> And I got to tell you, since Christmas, I have bought eight vinyl albums that I thought I've, I haven't bought a 33 in ages and I've bought eight since uh, December 25th. Yeah. Vinyl outsells, uh, uh, CDs now. Yep. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask our Superman expert and I shame that I don't know this has Staz Johnson drawn Superman with long hair. I think he has. That sounds familiar. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hip deep in the, uh, long hair era over on from crisis to crisis and i do you draw an annual or something like that because it seems like it'd be a good fit because wow nightwing has a lot of product in his hair yeah and he i mean he looks like if you were to cover up his long hair that i mean that looks like superman i mean i know it's kind of hard to draw a lot of distinguishable faces depending on who the artist is but rereading this for the podcast for a brief moment i was like is clark kent on this plane with <laughs> with with Tim drake for a moment one question i wanted to throw out to you guys with nightwing being on here and he's you know kind of healing from his his injuries i like that dixon doesn't write nightwing as he he's still writing nightwing as the the brotherly figure and lets tim well kind of lets is a loose word, but lets Tim mm-hmm. jump out of the car to go to the next event. And it's not like Nightwing is berating him because, you know, this is Tim's own book. But no, his training wheels are off, you know, yeah. at this point. Yeah. So uh, what do you guys think of the relationship of Nightwing and uh, Dick? Nightwing and Dick, geez. Tim and Dick, uh, not only just through this. Dick and Grayson? Dick, yeah, Dick a- and Grayson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a chum. So uh, not only just through this book, but through through the 90s as a whole. Uh, let's start with Michael on this one. I always uh, had the feeling as a reader that Dick took a personal interest in Tim's training and him being Robin because... He doesn't feel responsible for what happened to Jason, but I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's like, if I was there, maybe I could have headed this off. And the fact that Bruce came to Dick and said, I want you to help train this guy. Tim was always the vindication for what happened to Jason. Like, this time we're going to get it right. Uh, We're not going to rush into it. We're not going to just choose the... The next kid that, you know, steals the hubcaps off the Batmobile. The fact that he puts it on Bob Blocks, how do you even do that to the Batmobile? <laughs> but anyways, so I always liked their relationship because it was like Big Brother, Little Brother. You know, they're the ones that know what it's like to work with Bruce on a nightly basis. And Batman in the 90s became a jerk. 
Like a huge jerk. Like on his own. It yeah, was he okay. a whole Batman. That's yeah, what we call but it. When he was like, like, like if you read, like especially heading up towards No Man's Land, it's like, you know, we're all soldiers. It's like Bruce, come on, jeez, God, I know you like organizational. You know, you have like the strong organizational skill that you want to, you know, breed into your. Uh, you know your vigilanteism, but uh, you know we're, we're all doing this as as volunteers. It's not <laughs> like you're paying us, though you are paying for everything else. No, I I, I love uh, Dick and Tim during this era. I, I I just I just love their dynamic, and I love in this issue specifically. Tim just bails on him. He's yeah. just like, no, you're gonna go handle this. I'm gonna go take care of this. And, 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 you know, you need to heal up anyways. And it's just like, oh, my, the tables have turned. <laughs> Terrence. Like, right before I reread this, I was listening to your podcast you did with Stella, and you talked a lot about Damian Wayne and the, the Robins, and she said that that's her favorite Robin. So I was thinking a lot about how almost equal Tim and Dick are. Not quite, but it's big brother, little brother, you know, they're not that far off. And why that whole Grant Morrison, when Dick Grayson becomes Batman and Damian Wayne is Robin, it wouldn't have worked if it was Tim. It would it just would have been such a different dynamic. It would have been prodigal. And so, like, mm-hmm. Tim Drake fans need to just, like, take a chill pill on that because we, we it wasn't going to work with Tim. So that's why Tim had to go be Red Robin and Damien had to be Robin to get that dynamic of the, the petulant little <laughs> little snot who's just learning the ropes and, and you know, uh, Dick trying to rein him in. Yeah, I did I did think it was kind of funny how Tim just jumps out the window of the car and <laughs> just like, see you later, go rest up, I got this. I also thought it was kind of funny, I know you're leading to this, <laughs> he, he just in a, in a city as huge as Paris with I don't know how many millions of people it had back in <laughs> 1998, he, he bumps right into the one person he knows in Paris that was pretty, pretty hey, well hilarious. that's 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 how it always happens though I mean and it, very anecdotally I've had things happen like that to me too where I'd be like you know I mean a completely different town completely different city I'm like gosh I hope nobody recognizes me here well that's that's ridiculous and then and, and somebody's like why would anybody be here that knows you? I don't know. And then, like, literally five seconds later, hey, hey, Ryan, you know, it's, it's happened to me before, and it is a weird feeling when yeah, it happens. I, my grandmother so. tells the story all the time that uh, my grandpa and grandma, she had been wanting to see the Grand Canyon for forever. So they go out to see the Grand Canyon. My father, my grandfather, my grandfather was a high school teacher for like voag you know working on cars and all that stuff so they're out in the middle looking at grand canyon and my grandmother says it's so nice to be somewhere where we don't know anybody and not more than two seconds later they hear mr myers is that you my grandmother's like i come to see the biggest hole in the universe and i get it we gotta run into somebody that we know so yeah it, it happened so i i put out a tweet a few weeks ago about, hey, we're getting ready to start up Legacy, and uh, who tweets but our guest, Michael Bailey, and says, you know, you said there was a moment that was a Tim Drake moment. Is this the moment you were talking about, sir? Oh, yeah, this is one of the top five Tim Drake, <laughs> best Tim Drake moments of all time. This guy was such a jerk back <laughs> in the Robin miniseries, and the fact that Tim plants him, like in three panels is just so satisfying to see. Mm. It's just like Tim's just like I really don't have time for you and your shenanigans, and he pushes the point. And I'm I'm trying to 
like, if I'm going to be critical, that last kick really doesn't work. I'm trying to figure out how he did it. Yeah. It was like a spin kick. I mean, because there's no way he gets from holding that dude's leg with his left arm to kicking him with his left leg unless he spins around. Uh, I'm no expert, but that just doesn't scan. But he he just blocks the kick, shoves his palm in this dude's face, and then kicks him to the floor, and he just walks off. He's just done. <laughs> and, and and the fact that one of those guys is wearing one of those mesh shirts. <laughs> That's awesome. He's got like a pirate. He's like a pirate. It's amazing. <laughs> is that like, I wonder if like, did they open up a, like a, like a Paris fashion magazine of in the nineties, <laughs> and like that's what people were, were like. One dude was wearing, and they were like, "We got to capture this," you know. You know, I, I'm not one to talk about nineties fashion because I, I I pretty much spent most of the decade wearing blue jeans, t-shirts, and denim button downs. So <laughs> I, I really have no room to talk. But I never wore a mesh shirt. No, and, and I th- I think that puts me you know on the. Uh, on the up on this, but no, this is. I remember reading this bag in 1996 and going, "Yeah!" And one of the comic <laughs> shops like, "What are you talking about?" I go, "Look what he did!" And they're like, "So?" I'm like, "Do you guys ever read the first miniseries?" This and I explain everything, and it's 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 like it's like I'm speaking another language for some reason. <laughs> Hmm. I got a my cousin Vinny moment out of this, where the guy wants to beat up Vinny. Yeah. <laughs> just, how do I know this isn't a, a roll of dollars? Hey, hey, little Yankee boy, look here what I got. What is it? $200. Bring it here, let me see it. Hmm. How do I know that's not a bunch of ones with a 20 wrapped around it? It's 200 bucks. Fan it out. Show it to me. Yeah, right. Hey, little Yankee, what? Look here. Yeah. <laughs> I got you two hundred dollars. <laughs> you gonna kick the shit out of me now? Hey, I had a. F- a friend, I had a friend. No, literally, it wasn't me. It was literally a friend who wore one of those mesh shirts to the beach and then fell asleep. And like the pattern <laughs> was on him from being sunburned. Oh my gosh, the sunburn yeah. pattern. That's amazing. Yeah, it was not me, though. It really was a friend. But yeah. We called him Chain Link after that. He never got over it. <laughs> Chain Link. Oh, I wish I, oh man, if I only knew. Can, I, can we rewind 35 years to middle school so I could call him that? Yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm going to find where he is, call him up. He's like, Chain Link. What's up, like, Chain Link? that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is. Like, I agree. Like, And it's a cool moment, and it's something that you only really get with, with Chuck Dixon. Chuck Dixon probably is the only person that would be like, hey... I've got this story, and they're in Paris, and I've got my dick, little Dixon verse over here, and I know that I wrote this other story where he was in Paris and encountered these characters, so I am totally going to like make room here to have him run into this guy so I can have you know some sort of full circle moment. Like, it's great. Like, and it's a it's a vindicating moment 
going clear back to you know all the books that we have been following Tim Drake through to where Tim was such a novice in that mini series and kind of getting his butt handed to him ironically going up against you know King Snake by the the end of that that Tim now comes back to the city where he was first learning from and gets to just own the day to like the high school bully essentially that was giving him such a hard time that he can just take him out in one fell swoop and be done. Like Michael said, as a Tim Drake fan, you're like, yes, that was friggin' awesome. You know, you know, you go back to your my cousin Vinny thing though. They they got similar hairstyles in this <laughs> they issue, do. so they do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. So I want to kind of advance advance a little bit, not go through totally page by page. Ducard now. At least chronologically, as far as we've been going through the podcast, Ducard, I believe, has not made any appearances on our show. So this was something aside from, you know, Batman Begins or other, you know, other forms of media. I don't know if I've personally come across a reading something where Ducard has actually been in the book other than, you know, Batman talking about it or another character. Didn't Tomasi use him in something yeah, so I, I mean, as, as far as the the nineties and this, oh, in, this I see. In, in this time frame goes, so uh, what did you think of Robin's uh, interaction with Descard? And you know, he does you know come to save the day by the by the end of the book. So, what are your thoughts on Descard? Let's start with our guest, Michael Bailey. I liked seeing Tim interact with him because Descard was one of those characters to me that was. I'm not a huge fan of the three-part series story where he first appeared. Blind Justice, I think mm. it was called. If yes. Yeah. And because it's... I just don't like that story. I remember reading it again when I was going through the whole run and going, this is kind of boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is what is actually going on? This is the guy that wrote the movie? I mean, but... Was that uh, in Detective Comics like six hundred? Was that like the yeah, big six hundred? Yeah, okay, five ninety eight yeah. to six. I think it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but seeing Tim interact with him, it's always kind of cool to me for Batman to kind of send his proteges to deal with the people that he's dealt with because there's history there, and. Even if you haven't read anything with Henry Ducard or Henri Ducard, if you want to, or, or you know, if you want to call him Liam Neeson, you can do that too, because <laughs> uh, uh, Henry Ducard has a very special set of skills, uh, skills that make him nightmare for people like Robin. Even if you hadn't read any of that, Dixon does such a great job of making you think this is important that it's important. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I think uh, I think Michael summed it up really well there, um, and, and that's a, that's actually a good hallmark I think of maybe sequential storytelling in general, but also something that Dixon's really good at. Yeah, it was a cool surprise to see Ducard here. I, I had, I mean, this is the first time I've really reread Legacy since my original reading years and years ago, and when I first read it, I didn't know the importance of Ducard, and since then, you know, we've had things like Batman Begins and things, and so. Not that the character is the same or whatever, but just that prestige or pedigree of like the meaning of that character. And, and then when he showed up here, I was like, "Oh wow, Ducard! That's kind of cool." And um, yeah, because he's kind of like a centerpiece character, and I don't think he comes back again either. But it's cool that again, when you're in a different location like that, um, Dixon probably—I mean, he's good on legacy, you know, more ways than one—because he would bring back. 
other legacy characters like your Shotgun Smiths and stuff like that from other places. So he probably was like, okay, well here he's in Paris. Who do I have? Who do I have in Paris that I can play with that I've seen before? You know, here's the guy from the miniseries. Oh, I've got we've got Ducard. I can bring him in. Or maybe it was even an editorial decision. Maybe Denny was like, hey, we've got Ducard. You got to use him. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and so like who knows, right? <laughs> wow, that's dead on, sir. Congratulations. <laughs> talk talk to the guy for three hours. You'll pick up on his uh, on speech pattern. So. <laughs> but uh, you know, plug plug, but yeah, there you go. I mean, so like it could have been an editorial thing too, or maybe just something. I mean, I don't think any would have uh, forced it, but maybe it was a suggestion of like, oh yeah, we've got these things in the toolbox, and so uh, anything that helps challenge and maybe even reaffirm Tim Drake and his philosophy as Robin is is cool, and it's and it's it's a cool thing just to add into into a story. Into a, it's one of those things that like works on a single issue level, but it also gets to move the storyline of Legacy along at the same time. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think this this was the 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 first time they saw each other since the end of that miniseries. I believe you're right. Yeah, Terrence. Yeah, and I was going to ask you guys this too. When Batman's like, "Hey, there's someone, you know, we got this deadly virus that's going to kill the whole world. There's someone I need you to talk to." Well, like, is it Superman? Is it Flash? Is it one of the other <laughs> Justice Leaguers who might be looking? Now, Denny, we, we know Denny would not have allowed that. Right? Remember, yeah, like, yeah, like, go back to our Nixon interview where he was like, "I don't want to see a cave." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but my point that I was going to make is when I read this originally back when it came out, like it never would have crossed my mind that Batman. Batman would go to the Justice League for help or anything like that because Batman and that whole Batman universe was so self-contained. Now that there's been so much of Batman in the Justice League and New 52 and the DCEU and all that stuff, it did kind of strike me as like, why aren't, why aren't they calling their friends for help here a little bit? But I also understand it is a comic book and this is the reality of the situation. But they don't even try to like put in some kind of like bogus of like, well, we can't contact the Justice League because... Raish's monitoring, blah, 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 you know, or just something for it. They're just like, it's not even brought up. But I do, what I really liked about it was how Robin, Tim, like, uses his, you know, intelligence to reason with him, where, you know, Ducat is just like, you know, I, I don't have the exact quote here, but something of like, yeah, why should I care? Well, I'm not getting paid for this. And it's kind of like, well, do you care if you live, kind of? You know, like, because you're going <laughs> to you're gonna be bleeding blood out of your eyes and how he can motivate, you know, Ducat to kind of, try to help him, you know, not through a threat, not through paying him, but using, you know, his intelligence to think of a way that would motivate Ducat to get in the game, so to speak. So I thought that that was a really cool uh, aspect of Tim's character. Yeah, before we close out on this book, I do want to uh, take a look at some of uh, Staz Johnson's artwork. So I think from, I don't remember Staz, I think I'm remembering the latter part. I'm looking at you know, a, a page on my wall here from, from Johnson. It looks, you know, very clean lines. Page 20, his use of the panel layout when Robin is bouncing off of whatever the sculpture is before he knocks it over. Just the little inserts of Robin bouncing off, rolling, tucking, running up the side of the panel. You can kind of get into this forever loop. I thought that was a really good uh, use of the panel layout to have him uh, knock this over. What would you guys think of Johnson's art through this book and uh, any final thoughts on this issue before we get to our uh, final book for this evening. Let's start with Ryan. I thought it was, I, I liked it. You know, it, it's, 
Although I didn't really remember Ducard in the story. If you would have told me to think about Legacy beforehand, th- this is probably the issue that I, I would have mentally gone to first as, like, the globetrotting... Well, other than the Rachel Ghoul um, Bane reveal, but, like, in the terms of the globetrotting story stuff, having them in, in Paris and stuff uh, stands out quite a bit. It's just kind of a cool little entry. And, um, and I like how the way the story is constructed catches back up with itself... Uh, that would be my last little point here. It's like where the first thing you see on the first page of this Robin issue with yeah. him hanging upside down, that gets caught. You catch back up to that, and you know exactly that's the moment you caught back up to because they redraw the pan- he redraws the panel in a smaller uh, panel on the page, and so like you're like, oh okay, I'm back to back to the present day. We're caught up now, and I, I thought that was cool. I always like it when they're able to do that with the stories, and so and, and just in general. Also, man, there's a lot that happens in this issue from a story construction standpoint. But yeah, just seeing Rob, Robin and Nightwing working together and fighting together, you know, is 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 cool. Yeah, and one last little thing I before we go to our other two that this is kind of the first book out of the ones we've been talking about where the virus is being mentioned by Tim in the concluding uh, couple panels that kind of not forgotten about it, but it's not really brought. Oh up. yeah, yeah, I did. Too. Yeah, when I was reading this tonight. Um, and I and I think that's a point because like I've been reading it all the way through, but I haven't read. I haven't. I only started picking up. Basically, I started volume two for this show, and so by the time you get to that point, you're like, oh yeah, it reminded me. Yeah, Tim. Tim has the virus. It's not it's been a driving force in the story for the last couple of issues, but that's probably just because you know it's not something that Catwoman would really touch on too much. And then this, the very next issue is this Robin issue. So that's when they would bring it back up again, but it does feel like a gap of like, Oh yeah, I I forgot about that. Right. Uh, Michael. Uh, I love Staz Johnson's art. Uh, I I think between his work here and, and, and the issues of detective that he did, Oh yeah. He had such a super clean style Still very much of its era, but it translates into, like, in rereading it, you're not totally, like, reminded that you're reading a book from the 90s. No, no, not at all. But as, you know, when you go, you have two very hard acts to follow on this title. You know, when you start your your title with Tom Grummet, Mm -hmm. and then you go to Mike Rowingo, it's just like, you better bring your A-game. To, to the art that you're doing because you you know you got to stand on the you know on the shoulder to shoulder with the giants and I think he did it I, I think he did a fantastic job and I'd, uh, I'd be lying if I said that Staz Johnson wasn't one of you know you've got Grummet and and Lyle drawing Robin very well and as much as I love Rowingo by the time Johnson leaves this book I really wanted more of Staz Johnson so I think in this first. Well, this first early issues, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I like his art. And by the end, when he was off the book, I was like, oh, I've been robbed. I want Staz Johnson. So I've always had a soft spot for Staz Johnson. But yeah, sorry to be, didn't mean to interrupt there. No, that, that was basically all I, you know, I had to say. This, this was one of, I've been reading a lot of books from this era uh, or rereading uh, because I, you know, just to follow along with the books we do on From Crisis to Crisis, I'm trying to get a, a sense of some of the other things in the DC universe. And it's funny, the books that I read back then or have read previously that I've fallen off the wagon of 
And this is the one where I was like, no, I'm sticking with this. And so it's just, it, it's, it's so nice to, to be able to, to visit, revisit uh, an issue like this and love it as much as I did the first time I read it. And Terrence. So how do I say this without using the word fluidity? But <laughs> the it's a prerequisite I, of the show, sir. <laughs> yeah, the thing I love about Staz Johnson's art is you can feel and see the motion of the characters. Like on page seventeen, you can see Nightwing like throwing this batarang down into the the hole where the the guys are shooting at them. On page uh, what was it here fifteen, you can see. Dick and Tim swinging in from the the sky and, oh, and a good shot. Nightwing landing on the the car. Sixteen, you can just feel that soldier and see him falling down into the pit and Tim kicking a guy up there. And uh, nineteen, you can see Tim just leaping off the, the that balcony there. So he use, uses the lines and the movement really well. The the action's flowing as opposed to a lot of other artists especially at this time where it's everything's a pose like you know like yeah i think mm-hmm. like you know rob liefeld <laughs> i was not gonna say rob liefeld exactly yeah. it's a pose that may or may not be physically even possible exactly yeah. like you have no idea how the arm got there or the leg or who's kicking or punching everybody's posed so that the penciling will uh he can then go sell that at a convention because it's got every character in it so but staz johnson uh, i just feel like does the movement everything flows really well that fluidity the other thing that I was going to say, just in general for the book, I'm I'm really glad that from going from this great artist, Waringo, but he was very stylized, you know, the big impulse feet. It was almost kind of cartoony, almost kind of manga. They could have gone even further in that direction, but they kind of dialed it back to a little more realistic, a little more, you know, a traditional comic book artist and feel. And I'm glad they did that instead of like pushing, you know, getting a Waringo clone who was even... Even more so. So, yeah, I would definitely that the artwork is incredibly enjoyable and and solid throughout the issue. And Nightwing's hair is (laughs) that's poster worthy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His hair is his own uh, grapnel grapnel line if you oh my yeah he could just like whip it around and like you know he's like the black haired fabio basically that's got to be like the art direction here make him a black haired fabio (laughs) No, the, the funny thing about Nightwing in this issue is that, you know, if you read the dialogue, it's just like, then there's Nightwing. He just exudes attitude. and he's. <laughs> yeah, I love I'm that. Like, I'm like, he's not grunting because he's trying to scare these guys. He's grunting because his ribs are broken. <laughs> he is in yeah, massive yeah. amounts of pain. And he landed wrong. But all the other guys are just like, oh, God, this guy's scary. He's, like, he's got oh, the dude. Oh, man. Ah. I have a reoccurring rib injury uh, that'll pop up, at, you know, at least once a year, and like I don't want to do anything, so I don't understand these comics where they're like, I I have I have three busted ribs and I'm gonna go save the city. It's just like, no, I'm gonna lay here and try not to breathe. <laughs> right? Can you bring me back a sandwich, please? <laughs> well, uh, let's go to our final book for this evening. Legacy Part 4, Batman Shadow of the Bat 54. Alright, like the last issue for Robin, this one for Batman Shadow of the Bat number 54. The information comes to us by Mike's Amazing World again. 
The cover date is September 1996 with an on-sale date of July 3rd, 1996 with a cover price of $1.95. The editor is the great Dennis J. O'Neill. The writer is Alan Grant, the penciler is Dave Taylor, the inker is Stan Woosh, the letter is Bill Oakley, and the colorist is Pamela Rambo. Again, this has been reprinted in Batman Legacy Trade Paperback that came out in 1997, and the newest one that came out in Batman Legacy Volume 2 Trade Paperback 2018, and the cover goes to Carl Critchlow. And again, like the other one, I'm going to take the synopsis from a DC Wiki of Fandom, again, for the expedience of time. A novel synopsis for Batman Shalabat number 54. Bruce Wayne attends an art exhibit in Edinburgh. He is interested in some of the artifacts that were recently shipped there from the Sudan. Bruce knows that if there was any way for Rachel Ghoul to smuggle in the virus into the city, it would be as a part of this exhibit. Bruce returns later that night as Batman to look over the art pieces. He sees three men disguised entering into the museum, into the vault where the pieces of the art are. He attacks them but then realizes they are not part of Rachel's men. The three men are taking back pieces of art that belong to them by right. They plan to take it and pay back what they were paid the pieces for. Suddenly, the League of Assassins arrive and attack all of them. Batman and the three men fight back, but two of the assassins escape with flasks containing the virus. Batman tells the three brothers to follow one of them while he follows the other. The brothers track down a man until the assassin escapes using a motorcycle. Batman manages to catch the second assassin and takes the flask from him. When he asks the assassin where his partner will be, the assassin breaks a gas capsule in his mouth and dies instantly. With the help of the three brothers and their van, Batman manages to find the place where the assassins were headed. He manages to track the motorcycle, and before he can reach the assassin, the man kills himself in the same manner as his partner. The flask is falling to the ground, and Batman lunges forward to catch it. He grabs it but falls into a lake that prevents the flask from being crushed and saves Batman from certain death. The three brothers ask Batman to help retrieve their valuable piece in exchange for the help they provided. Batman agrees and then heads to the hotel room where he contacts Robin. Robin tells Batman that a fourth city might be Raish's next target. Batman decides to act immediately and he is ready and sets out to go to Calcutta. So we've got Alan Grant and uh, Taylor on this book, and uh, I I dig this cover. It's I, I don't know why I don't know if it's just the big monolith tombstone of 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 Batman symbol and Batman in the background. I don't know if it's just the the color, the muted colors of it. I wouldn't say it's poster worthy or anything like that, but there's just something about this cover I've always kind of liked, and I really can't put my my finger on it. So that's that's all I have to say about that, as Michael would say. Um, so, what did you guys think of the cover for uh, fifty four in our final book for this evening? Let's start with Terrence. Yeah, you know, Shadow of the Bat always had this tradition of having sort of a painted cover yeah, or a, a, a cover done by an artist who wasn't the artist in the book. So, yeah, I agree with you, Rob. I like the colors. I like the painted. I always liked uh, artwork of Batman where his kind of his arms and legs kind of disappear into like a sea of black. So mm. he's kind of a shadow and it's not too defined, which is like, how like, it is in this like cover. Like Terrence, like a shadow of the bat. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. He yeah, said the next. name of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's funny. <laughs> Ryan. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, to, to me, uh, yeah, the painterly thing is what jumped out to me because I looked at it and I'm like, instantly thought like, 
this is this could be like a '90s magic card if they had like a Magic the Gathering <laughs> Batman set, which, in my opinion, is an amazing compliment. Yeah, yeah, it's really neat. I mean, it's 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 not exactly what happens in the issue, but it's it's close enough, and it's definitely makes you want to be like, well, what is this? And yeah, it's it's definitely because it's not the traditional jump at at you comic book cover. It does have a different vibe to it immediately, which is reflective of the story within. I would say, yeah. uh, Michael, I, I'm I'm kind of like with you guys, Th- though. To me, it it looks like a Magnolia, yeah, pastiche yeah. as well. And that Batman monument kind of reminds me in a weird way, and maybe it's because I, I read it last year for one of the other shows I do. It reminds me of like the the monument that Deacon Blackfire mm. had as, as 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 like the that he would you know hit people up with acid and make them look at this monument and it would be like this huge imposing thing and it really wasn't. Uh, I, I don't know why my head went there, but that's where it went. But yeah, I like you guys said, Shadow of the Bat was it was always the arty Batman book. It was like yeah. the the, the, mm-hmm. the Batman book that's like. A half step away from Vertigo. Well, it's basically was created to give what Grant and and Brayfogle a, a space to kind of do their own cerebral focused Batman stories, right? Where he could, where Grant could do his his thing. Is is it that initially? Yeah, it was. Up? It was yeah. basically, you know, the time is right, y'all. There's a Batman movie coming out. Let's launch a new title and yeah. let's give it to Bray Fogle. This will be, you know, the McFarland Spider-Man for Batman, mm-hmm. but with a writer artist team, and you know, not a guy who couldn't write, you know, to save his life. Yeah, let's get into the interior of the book and the interior of artist. I, well, the cover credits go to I'm going to butcher this name, Carl Critch, Critchlow. If I'm saying that last name probably wrong, but that's our our cover credit to it. And uh, David Taylor is doing the interior of this book. So I think Ryan hit the nail on the head. This is your kind of your magic, the gathering issue. And a little shout out to uh, a good friend of mine, Stu, Stuart Murray. For any of you Superman fans in the room, my friend has a good uh, YouTube channel, Stu Murray 47 big, huge Superman collector. And he lives in Scotland. So I know I've sent all three of you uh, the few images of some of these actual locations that are in this book. So anytime I have an excuse to tell Stu, like, hey, I'm reading a book that mentions Scotland. Is this a real place? Is this a real place? He's like, please, knock it off, Rob. I don't do that for <laughs> I don't do that to you in Ohio. Like, ooh, is this the Ohio River? Ooh, is this the Ohio River? So he graciously sent a, a couple pictures of, of some of the locales. He's like, oh, hey, I was at this castle. Oh, hey, this is the top of you know, you know, one of the highest spots in, in Edinburgh. And then he started going, whoa, that would be a really good place to release a disease. Oh, holy crap. Is anybody watching up there? <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of, uh, first of all, let's go through the art of this book before we get in uh, to some of the story beats. Me personally, if I've read something drawn, read, that's really weird, or read something with uh, Taylor's artwork in it, it's not sticking to me right at the moment. This is probably, for me, I think, weakest is the wrong word. I didn't connect with the art as well, but that's not saying that it's horrible. I think with just some of the other issues we've had, it's kind of drawn me in a little more. What would you guys think of the art in this book? Let's start with Terrence. So 
Alan Grant is from Scotland, and I think Dave Taylor is either from the UK or Scotland, because I think they, they did a lot of that Judge Dredd stuff together. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I went to Scotland way back in 2001 and actually got to go to Edinburgh and go to this castle and, and stuff like that. So for me, it was kind of cool to kind of see some of the stuff and think, like, is that what I remember? Because it's been a while now. It's almost 20 years. And then I even dug out some of my old photos because it was before I had a digital camera back in 2001 and was looking at some of them. I think the art is serviceable. I think it's it doesn't jump out as me to me as like, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. But it also doesn't. I, I'm never taken out of the story because of the art, except for one moment when Batman like surfboards on a sign downstairs, and I, <laughs> that he pulled a Legolas before Legolas did. Yeah, yeah. Other than the, and even that wasn't too too bad. I think the art shines best actually when they are doing or when the artist is showing the faces of some of the Scottish people. Like mm-hmm. on page nine, there's a panel of the three guys who are trying to rob the castle. And just the, the line work and stuff in their faces and how each face is kind of a little unique, I, I thought was the best part of this book. His Batman is a little generic for me, but it's not horrible, but it, it's not anything where I'm going to remember it. So hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Michael. He relies heavily on Batman as a shape when drawing the character. He, 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 you know, you see the costume here and there, but he relies a lot on the cowl and the cape and shadows and, and, well, Shadow of the Bat. (laughs) I said the name (laughs) of the show too. I, I think where it excels is in like the normal people. Yeah, these look like real people. They don't look like you know, uh, like the, the the CW cast that you could sometimes get in these books. I think my favorite image is Bruce Wayne standing there with a towel around his waist, holding the bat, you know, the cape <laughs> in the hotel room, and it's just like he just got a shower. Because I, I gotta agree with my co-host over on Overlook Dark Knight. That costume must stink by the end of the night. <laughs> Yeah, like 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 the amount of sweating he probably does. I you know I guess you can make the argument that like Grant Morrison says he does some kind of breathing exercise, which keeps you know his you know he doesn't perspire because of it. But uh, but he hangs out in a sewer a lot too. He's in, in yeah. sewer and getting you know Killer Crocs sweat on him and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, laughing gas. Yeah. See, that's one of those situations where slash fiction, real book. Slash fiction, real book. Uh, you know, getting Killer Croc sweat on him uh, <laughs> is the joke that isn't funny. If you have to explain it, it's not funny. Uh, See, now every every point that's made, I want Ryan to explain how it was an editorial decision in Denny O'Neill's book. <laughs> <laughs> like, He's got to go to a laundromat to get it fixed. You know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing him, you know, surf down the stairs on that door, I, I have to imagine that you know Joel Schumacher saw this and go, you know how I can do this better? Yeah, is, is I can yeah. have him surfing on jumping the door out of a plane of, of of a rocket. Yeah, and that's as somebody who actually enjoys Batman and Robin, unironically. You know, it took the was it the, the re-releases the, the re-releases yeah. that I was. I think I was the only one in the theater for Batman and Robin, and I had a rip-roaring time with that movie. I'm like, I think it's just one of those, like, fine wine. Talking about Stella, 
that's her favorite Batman movie, which I, I think we need to re-examine that, but I respect it <laughs> yeah, at the same every time. Every time she says that, I'm like, Stella, you really need to, to, to look inside. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, what did you think of the uh, art in this book? I think it's the same artist that was on the, the previous issue of um, Shadow of the Bat that leads into this one, right? Uh, I. I think so. Now that I put my foot in my mouth, I said, I don't think I really read much. And I started to scroll through stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. The so, previous issue, moron. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so the, I mean, so there, there is the continuity there, uh, which I think is pretty good. Uh, I, and you talk about the Batman being in shadow. I think that's cool. Like, there is that uh, on page six of this book, you know, Batman sitting in the doorway. And it actually looks, it's, it's really Affleck-like to me. It reminded me of the scene at the end of Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition, where he's standing in the in the jail cell uh, before he gets uh, Lex Luthor. You know, it's just that uh, silhouette where he's got this hulking figure. So, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I did just find out that uh, the cover artist Carl Critchlow. Uh, is in fact a, a Magic the Gathering card illustrator. He has illustrated many, <laughs> many Magic cards since uh, going all the way back for, uh, from 1997, and, and he still is making Magic cards today. So there is a very legitimate reason why I made that association. So, so, so if Batman's a, a, a Magic card, is he like the Magic card that comes in? And He's like a Planeswalker. Feed him. He's like a planeswalker. He comes in, he's got like a bunch of different abilities, and it's going to take all your... You have to help a whole bunch of creatures out to be able to even begin to tick, tick those counters down. Uh, a, a world I know nothing about, but what you said makes... It's a rabbit hole. Set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite panels, and it's, it's weird, uh, it's page, if I can pull this thing apart, page 18, it's the black-on-blue-on-black version of Batman where he's coming at screen going vermin i don't know if it's a, a weird coloring error probably not a coloring error but trying to offset batman so you can kind of tell that he's there but just these ominous hands the bottom part of the cowl you can kind of tell that it's there um i wouldn't say it's like my my favorite panel but there's just something about the coloring of that panel i like quite a bit this is probably the most story for legacy and the the virus that's going on where we actually are starting to get to racist plans that they're going to Paris and they're going to Scotland and Edinburgh uh, specifically where you've got Batman uh, jumping off the side of the cliff and then putting the virus down in his belt before he hits the water and something I thought was interesting that Grant did is add the the real people if you will the the citizens and these other people that are coming back to take the to steal the tombstone 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 it's getting late folks um, doomstone <laughs> that they become the basically the the savior of the store like batman's doing all the work here but the un the reluctant you know ride along like batman really doesn't want him there but is using them and at first, I thought this was going to be a, a weird like gimmick. Like, it's just I don't see Batman riding around in a van down by the river. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty badass. It's like a weird Scooby Doo like kind of kind of deal where it's like they're in a van and Batman's in a van. He's I got to team up with these people just because I need to get to my. He's using his. It is actually a very Batman thing to do when you think about it yeah. because he's using the environment and the resources he has at hand to get the job done in a place that is not Gotham, you know? 
Yeah. And I just, just because you mentioned BVS, I'm thinking of the Justice League where <laughs> Gordon says, Oh, I see you playing with others again. And Affleck's like, Temporarily, or, you know, whatever. Maybe temporary. Like, yeah. yeah. That I, I just, I can hear Affleck's voice in this, like, I can't believe I'm running around with these guys. Like, all right, we're not cutting cutting jokes here or anything just to see Batman in a van <laughs> with, with, the, with the, it's, it shouldn't be funny, but at the same time, it, oh, it's it, funny it, as hell. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> my name is and, Bruce t- and talk about that. <laughs> my okay. kids, my parents were killed when I was a child and I live in a cave 14 miles from Gotham. I mean, he should basically, he basically should have said that. They were asking him because when he gets in the van, they're like, well, who the, who are you supposed to be? You know, but he says, the Batman, I'm American. You know, he's like, who are you, by the way? He should have just, we got into a more explanation, but like, I became a bat after my parents got killed. You'll never know because blah, blah, blah. You're in Scotland. Talking about this, I thought it was really, I'll just put some, some uh, comparisons out there for y'all. So, it was really fun to jump into this issue because it's one of the few in Legacy, right? That um, that's not a Chuck Dixon show. Like you, you kind of right. take this. I'm not going to say it's a detour because it does follow. It's following sequentially in the story, but as soon as you know that it's not Dixon, you kind of you know mentally know like, okay, we're going into something different because you can you can tell right away it's a different writer, right? Which is not a bad thing, because like I just said with the Robin issue, you're picking up with a different character, so it, it, it you're used to it. But what is really interesting is that some of the dialogue choices that Bruce and Batman uses in this are something that I don't think Dixon ever would have have, have his Batman say or do, which I think is really funny. Because things like when you get Batman suddenly has his inner monologue and he and he's sliding down you know with in the church with the door and he says things like life means nothing to them not even their own he daren't let this one escape and he daren't allow himself to think about how the pigs are faring with the other. like I don't think Batman would enter would say daren't and then the ne- on the next page where he's like poison blast like. I don't think Batman would yeah. talk like that exactly. Or, I mean, he would. And he would in another issue that this issue made me think of almost immediately when I was reading this. And that issue is a Dennis O'Neill throwback as well. If you go back and look up the Brave and the Bold issue number 93, which is a team-up with Batman and the House of Mystery... Which wow. I cover. It's a very deep pull, and I covered the and I podcasted about this book on a Halloween episode of uh, the Batman Book Club. Shout out to the Batman Book Club podcast. You can go back and uh, listen to that. So that whole issue is like Batman in you know, is it Scotland? I don't know. I don't remember exactly, but it's Batman that's like not in Gotham, and he's got, <laughs> and he's works with villagers and or or these villagers are telling them stories about you know the this haunted house and stuff like that and batman has some quirky dialogue like he uh he has he has really quirky dialogue and he and gordon forces him to go on this boat trip and then bruce tries to like throw his costume overboard the the ship 
So, because he's like, I, I don't want to be Batman. I've got to be Bruce Wayne through this trip or whatever. And then, like, a mysterious ghost brings the, the suit back. It's goofy as hell, but it's fun. <laughs> and this issue reminds me, of, it's almost like a weird sister, like, spiritual successor to it almost. Like, so do yourself a favor and go back and 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 look up. The, it's on DC Universe, I believe, uh, Brave and the Bold number 93. And, of course, it's Denny O'Neill. And, and like we've said, a, a lot of the other parts of Legacy feel like an updated Denny O'Neill thing with, um, you know, just being in the desert and Rachel Ghoul and you're not in Gotham and stuff. But that, but that's another example, deep pull example that I, that I, you know, now that it's been a few years and I've read more comics that I'm noticing these connections in. So one of the last things I kind of want to leave off here before we uh, wrap this dog and pony show up here is that we're ending on, uh, which I think this is something I didn't say earlier, that I never think of my supervillains or superheroes buying plane tickets to go travel to other places. I don't know if I always think, oh, they're just, they got their own private jet. So Tim is relaying the message to Bruce that Oracle found another plane ticket that where Raish and his men are probably traveling to, not probably, but they're going to Calcutta. Then Bruce is like, that's my next stop. So uh, I don't know if that was just a, a weird little thing that I'm hung up on of like, what are heroes and villains don't buy plane tickets? Like you would think one of the top villains in the world <laughs> that has lived a millennia, you're going to get nabbed and caught by... <laughs> You know, by the TSA. <laughs> well, yeah. and and you know, Rob, we didn't bring it up, but now that you brought it up, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to talk about that. How funny was it in the Catwoman episode where they are flying on the plane, and you uh, you don't realize it? Like, it's Dick is like uh, getting medical attention from Alfred, and he's talking <laughs> to Tim, and then they flash to the cockpit, and it's Batman flying the Without plane without his shirt. I'm like, no he shirt on, but he's no still got the cow and gloves. Yeah, it's and so then he's amazing. like, uh, you need to rest. He's like, oh rest when Roz is captured and the madness is finished. And that is also when I will put a shirt on. <laughs> exactly. Like, you can't wear a shirt. As long as I'm could... in the desert, the shirt's off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a Brave of the Bold issue. Another Brave of the Bold issue. I think it was the one where he teamed up with Richard Dragon, where Batman flew coach. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's yeah. the funniest thing I have ever seen. It's a Jim Aparo drawing of Batman sitting in coach. Not Bruce and, and Wayne, I, but Batman. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and not just Batman sitting in coach by himself, but I'm assuming with a plane full of passengers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm well, writing that down. Peanuts, I need please. to go check it out. Hey, it's Jim Aparo and Batman in coach. What's not to, <laughs> what's not to love, right? Uh, a, an innocent time. Well... Any final thoughts for uh, this issue in particular, and then uh, from what we've read as a whole, let's uh, let's start with our guest, Michael Bailey. I think Legacy is a much quieter story compared to Contagion, which it, it <laughs> is ostensibly following up. Uh, even though a lot of action-y stuff happens, Contagion was more of, we've got to find a cure or all these people are going to die. This one has a little more scope to it. So because of that, it has a... I, I, I know quieter doesn't really describe it, but that's the word that keeps popping up in my head. You know, the fact that we took an entire issue for Batman to go sightseeing mm -hmm. in, yeah. in Edinburgh and 
I, I don't know when it, when I when I when I saw that tour guide, I was just like, "Am I hearing the woman from Brave? Like, is, <laughs> is, is, is that the voice? Is or is it like like is it going to be like uh, you know Amy Pond? You know, I'm I'm, I'm okay with that too. Um, there's also a random point in this issue where they pass a couple of tourists that look like they're here from Preacher. Uh, yeah. Just in the way Dave <laughs> Dave Hunt uh, draws or Dave Taylor draws them, um, but no, it, it's just like you had a story that kind of sort of ties into it, but it's more of Catwoman's thing. You you have a definite like you know rollicking good time of Tim and Dick fighting in Paris, and then you have Batman sightseeing and hanging out with a university professor. And two guys that own a decor business that just show up cosplaying, and it's the best thing ever. <laughs> I loved these books; they were so much fun to read. Terrence, all right. So I had to look it up while you were talking. It appeared in um, Brave and the Bold one thirty two when Batman teams up with someone I've never heard of, but it's one of these a uh, stereotypical Caucasian karate people, a Richard Dragon, the Kung Fu fighter. And it has it. I'm looking at the panel of Batman and Kung Fu fighter in, in costume flying in coach. It's hilarious. And like the stewardess is pushing the cart. Uh, so yeah, you guys got to check that out. And as for these issues, yeah, I mean, what more can we say? We've been talking for like two hours about them. And I'm kind of, <laughs> I've kind of, kind of tapped out a little bit of what to say other than, you know, it just it these '90s comics. I know for me, a huge, huge part of it is nostalgia, but they are just so much fun, and they're just so much fun to read. I don't know how much of that's me remembering back to when I was reading these, you know, in my you know late teens, early twenties, and how much of it is just it was just like a, a golden age of these stories before things kind of you know got all rebooted, new fifty two kind of thing. Yep. Oh, uh, Ryan. I liked it. Like I said, if go back and if you read the read that Brave and the Bold issue, this feels very similar. Where it's like Batman's solving a mystery, and it's kind of supernatural, but at the same time, it's also furthering the story of of Legacy. It, it is kind of a you know, it, it, if there was like a no, it's like a Nightfall thing, right? If there was like a novel written about Le- Legacy turned into a novel, this is. This and like the Catwoman issue. There, there's things that would be taken out or streamlined or whatever. But it's fun. It's cool. It's 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 fun to see Batman in situations and locations he isn't usually in, and seeing him him make of it what he will. And and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like you know, I'm excited to see. Uh, oh, you know, and just um, I'll tell you what. The amount of times reading this issue, I had to like look up like. What does this mean? How do I pronounce this? You know, like <laughs> right. what? What translate Siri? Translate this? Like was a? I mean, it's stuff I should have known. But like, I'm trying to like know, like say things, you know, um, phonetically correctly in my head, so the characters sound more smarter. So that's what I'm trying to do um, in this international swashbuckling story. So I'm excited to get to keep on with this and and. Uh, remember how this whole thing ends and i think it's going to get really interesting yeah and i think this like michael had said earlier like contagion was i wouldn't say to breakneck speed like every issue was like oh my gosh somebody's gonna die oh my gosh somebody's gonna die i think the refreshing thing with legacy so far that 
A, Dixon is writing the lion's share of this. Mm-hmm. He's giving time and moments to breathe where, you know what, Bruce can go sightseeing and then hang out with the the ex-Scooby-Doo gang that didn't quite get to make the TV show. These are the, you know, the, the rejects for Shaggy, uh, if you will. But getting the, that moment to kind of let the story breathe a little bit more and... By the time you get to the, the tail end of this book, then things really start ramping up. So I really appreciate these these three issues that we that we read and we went through, and it makes you just kind of want to look at that next issue with all those muscles with the Kelly Jones cover and go, what is going to happen in this issue? So before we get out of here, I want to give a, a big thank you to our guest, Michael Bailey. Thank you for coming on to the show, sir. And if people already are not listening to your wonderful shows, where can they find them? And do you have anything on deck that's coming out soon? Fortressofbailey2.com is where you can find what I laughingly call the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network. It's where I host all the shows that I host or co-host and or produce in some capacity uh there's from crisis to crisis which should have some new episodes soon we're hip deep into 1996 we're right around this time of period actually nice. uh ironically uh so this was some good timing so i'm dealing with the fact that lois and clark have broken up and uh it's been a roller coaster ride emotionally uh over on overlook dark night which should also have some new episodes soon we're wrapping up our look at the Jim Starlin run, as my dog starts tapping at my microphone, uh, the Jim Starlin run of Batman, and uh, we're about to do Death in the Family, so, nice. uh, which we've already recorded. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have some stuff coming out from Views from the Long Box, and it all comes back to Superman. Uh, should be a lot of fun, and thanks for having me on. All right, uh, Ryan, you got anything uh, to plug before we uh, we get out of here for BOF or uh, Azrael podcast? Maybe uh, uh-huh. Azrael, no, not you know it. I'll tell you what, Azrael will come in 2021. I can tell you nice. that, you know, because it's January and uh, it gives me <laughs> 11 months to procrastinate. So, but yeah, I'll, that's that's a goal. That's not technically a New Year's resolution. I don't really. Uh, my New Year's resolution is a life resolution. It's and it's it's ongoing. But right. things are going. How many going. episodes do you have in the can right now of Azrael? Yeah, I think we've got like four of them done. If oh, you're cool. not counting the Dennis O'Neill interview, which is its own special thing too. So like, how many? Yeah, is it a plan? Yeah, we'll we'll get there, and it'll be <laughs> worth it as always. But uh, but if you want to follow it and uh, not get updates, it's on Twitter at Azrael Podcast. Uh, my personal Twitter is at uh, SMB underscore Ryan. The SMB, of course, stands for the Super Mario Brothers Movie Archive website, which is on Twitter at SMB Movie. And I uh, I hopped into the Iceberg Lounge show. I know. On I want to say congratulations. I just finished the, that episode, and I was like, oh, I wonder who's on. Holy crap, that's Ryan Hawes. <laughs> that's like, what they when all the said. Did that happen? <laughs> they all said that too. Like they, I, they, you know, they got they sent the link out, and now you know it was that perfect storm time, like this podcast, where it's like, whoa, it's a weekend where you know I actually have the time to join in on something, so I'm gonna do it. So I. I popped in and was able to join them on that show. And uh, so if you want to look at me and watch me talk about more <laughs> stuff like this with some other pals of ours, uh, go to 
the Straight Out of Gotham YouTube page and watch the latest episode, the January 22nd episode of the Iceberg Lounge. It's just a stream where we discuss all kinds of, of nerdy stuff. And, uh, you know, it's got Justin Kowalski, Eric Holtzman, and, uh, you know, Pete Illustrated, a.k.a. Uh, Pete Vera. And then Paul Herman even jumps in. And I saw and Garrett funny, came in for And Garrett came bit. in at the end, too. It's a pretty a pretty epic little episode of the Iceberg Lounge. So uh, if, you want, if you just want to throw it on the TV while you're doing stuff, it's it's like a bunch of friends just chatting about all the nerd stuff so it's it was a good time so check that out i know i usually ask you terrence if you have anything to plug i think i know your answer but by the time i don't ask you you're gonna go hey i had something he does uh, he's got the youtube channel stuff yeah, yeah. Got the, so, that's like, my new year's resolution is yeah. to try to at least get some videos each each week get some videos up there and yeah check out our youtube channel which is just the same as the podcast robin everyone loves the drake all right so on the behalf of our special guest michael bailey terrence and Ryan, I'm Rob. You've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net. And more importantly, you've been listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone Loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Lurking to my left Angels fainted